Good morning. Welcome to our Bible study time this morning. Today we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Uh, we're going to look at select verses in that chapter. Next week, if you like to follow along and read in advance of next week's lesson, Dave will be teaching on Judges chapter 6. Looks like a pretty big portion of that chapter. Judges chapter 6. Today, while you're uh, turning to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32, uh, just a couple of questions about the book of Deuteronomy. A little Bible trivia this morning, Put start, start our brains off good here. Um, the book of Deuteronomy, what does Deuteronomy mean? Yeah. Second law. Second law. Yes, you can kind of see the word duet in the, in the name, meaning two or second. And Deuteronomy is referred to as the second law. It's the last book in what we call the, the another name for the first five books of the Bible. The Pentateuch. The Pentateuch. And uh, you can hear in that word, penta. And what does that word mean? Five. Okay, so it's, there's the first five books of the Bible is referred to as the Pentateuch, and Deuteronomy is the fifth book, uh, the last one of, the, of those five, first five books in the law. Moses was uh, on the verge of death at the time of the writing of our text. Uh, chapter 32 is um, a, it's a, it's a kind of in the middle of this farewell address that Moses gives to the people of Israel. Um, in chapter 29, uh, he gives a, a series of several smaller speeches. Um, this is the last recorded time that we have in the Bible of Moses speaking to the people of Israel. And there, the reason for this address is that there's going to be a change in leadership. And who is it that's going to ultimately succeed Moses as the new leader of the Israelite people to take them into the promised land. Joshua, yes. A much younger man, a vibrant leader, um, able to, to lead God's armies, uh, a great warrior. Uh, remember, uh, there were some spies that went in to spy out the land before they went in, and there were two that came back and had the good report, and who was it? Joshua and Caleb. Okay, so where he's seen as a fearless leader, somebody that's willing to do whatever God wants him to do to go into the land and take the land. Now, Moses wouldn't end up going into the promised land. And why, why does he not go into the promised land? Yes, he disobeyed. He struck the rock instead of just speaking to it. For his disobedience, God said he wouldn't enter. He got to see it. He got to go up on the mountaintop and look into the land and, and see what God was going to give to them, but never had the experience of going into the land himself. But as part of this farewell address, first Moses reminds the Israelites to remember and to accept the stipulations of God's covenant. This covenant was based on God's love for his people and on their response of commitment to him. A failure to adhere to God's requirements would result in many negative consequences for Israel. Moses' speech included a statement on his successor 
Uh, if you look at, turn back to chapter 31 here real quick, chapter 31, verses 7 and 8. It says, Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. You must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And when you hear those words, he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. What's that remind you of? Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Jesus. He's in, and there's a neat correlation here when it comes to the Christian life. Once we be, decide to become a Christian, he's given us that promise already. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. But what's our part in it? Just like with Joshua and the Israelites. To obey and to be, what's he telling? A couple of different times there. Be strong and be courageous. The Christian life isn't all roses and wonderful and happy times. And we have a lot of happy times, a lot of joyous times. But most of the time, it's a struggle, isn't it? It's a daily struggle to stay strong, to stay courageous, to fight the good fight of the faith, uh, to not give up no matter what. And we look to, and it's, there's another neat correlation, we look to who as our example and as our, our leader to the promised land one day. Jesus. Jesus. And remember, what's the, the Old Testament name for Jesus? Joshua. There's just so many... So many beautiful correlations that God put into uh, His plan and uh, between what the people of Israel were, were going to go through with this new leader going into their promised land and then what we go through as Christians following Christ and ultimately ending up in our promised land one day of heaven with Him. So Moses, he's, he's including this statement about his successor. He recites the law again. Uh, the main points of the law. He predicts uh, the future in the end of chapter 31. In the midst of Moses' speeches, he presented a song for the people. And the three divisions of the song speak to the extent of the Israelites' relationship with God. It, God's loyalty is contra contrasted with their sinfulness, and as a result, negative consequences are certain. However, forgiveness, healing, and protection can still be attained if they remain faithful to God. So that's going to be the subject, really, is the select verses of this song that Moses gives uh, at the, in, in the middle of his speech here to the people. And we're going to pick up in verse 3 of chapter 32. The song begins by calling the heavens and the earth as witnesses to the unfolding word of warning from God in verses 1 and 2, and then starting in verse 3, it says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. O praise the greatness of our God. So for the people of God, the, uh, the name of the Lord was crucial for their worship. Uh, if you go back into the Psalms, um, there are many places where it says the name of the Lord is to be praised, the name of the Lord to be exalted, His names above all names. Uh, going all the way to the end of, of the book of the Bible, um, he has the, the name above all names. He's the king of all kings, lord of all lords. Um, they, they 
the seraphim, the angels stand around his throne, praising him day and, day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, uh, in, invoking his almighty name. So God's name reflects the very nature of his being. Uh, let's turn back to Exodus 33, verse 19. Exodus 33, 19. Someone read that for us. Whoever gets there. Exodus 33, verse 19. Okay, go ahead. He said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Okay, so here... Um, Moses uh, experiences the, the glory of the Lord. Uh, the, the presence of the Lord will go with him, it says in verse 14. And then uh, this particular verse uh, talks specifically about his name and how the, the name of the Lord uh, is going to be proclaimed and in his presence. So they, they, they put the name of the, of the Lord very highly. Uh, or, or counted it very highly, and uh, used it in a lot of their worship and a lot of the songs. And here, this is no different, uh, proclaiming the greatness of our God and to His name. Uh, if we think about commandment number three, why would this be important? With, if, we, if we think about, remember what commandment number three was? Moses here is part of this farewell address. He's addressing a lot of the things in the law again. But what, what was commandment number three? God's name should be never spoken in jest or never spoken in vain. So this is a big reason why they, uh, they make the name of the Lord a big deal in their songs and in, uh, in, in their worship. Because it is a name that's above every other name. It's not just a name to be used flippantly. Um, I think it's interesting the more, uh, the, the more wicked or more, I guess, uh, more immoral that our society gets, you hear the name of the Lord being used in vain ways. I mean, today, how, how do you hear it used? How do we hear? Yeah. Yeah, even just in texts, people use that OMG as though it's just a, another little, well, <laughs> you know, little funny thing to do, funny thing to say. God's name is used even, even in shows. You, know, you watch, you watch uh, sci-fi fantasy stuff, and they're using the name of God. And they're like, why are you using this? This has nothing to do with, with God at all. But, but they're using God's name in vain. Um, the, there's a, a reason why his name is to be held above every other name. because he is almighty God. We praise the greatness of his name. And there's power in the name of the Lord. And so we, even today, we need to, to do that. As God's name was proclaimed, His greatness would be celebrated. The people of Israel experienced divine greatness firsthand as they saw how God treated them during their most vulnerable moments. Even the angels in heaven sing of God's greatness upon seeing His victory over evil. Turn back to Revelation chapter 15. I mentioned this little bit in the uh, introduction, but Revelation chapter 15, if somebody can read that for us, uh, verses 1 through 4. 
Okay, go ahead. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the, breath, over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. O King of the saints, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. Okay, so according to this, what are some reasons in that scripture as to why we should hold the name of the Lord high and exalted? What are some reasons? Great and amazing are His ways. Okay, great and amazing are His ways. There's no, no other being that can do what God can do. Okay, He alone is holy. There's no one righteous, not even one. Only God is holy. What else? He's the God of truth, okay? Yeah. He is truth, yes. His works are great and marvelous. Yes, His judgments are clear. They're perfect Yeah, in how He judges the nations. Did you catch how He has victory, this prophecy about having victory over the name of evil here as well? He's going, his name is going to reign victorious over all other rulers, over all other names. There are many reasons why we uphold the name of the Lord. Verse 4 of our text says, He is the rock. His works are perfect, and all His ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is He. Some additional reasons why his name is to be held high. The, uh, we, we have here in verse, cha- verse 4, uh, chapter 32 again in Deuteronomy. He's the anchor for his people. He's the one and only rock. He's the save, savior and the ruler of his people. Other biblical texts describe God um, as a rock, referring to his stability, to his unchanging nature. And later parts of this song Uh, If you read further on in chapter 32, it contrasts the rock of Israel with the weak gods of of the Israelites' enemies. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the rock of Israel, steadfast for his people. Uh, Let's look at Genesis 49. Turn back to Genesis chapter 49. It's a cross-reference scripture to this idea. Genesis 49, verse 24. Someone, we're going to read that. Okay, you have it back there. But his bow remained steady, his strong arms stayed limber, because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel. All right, so another reference to him as being the rock of, of his people. His works are perfect. The people of God can take refuge in God as their rock because His work in the world is without error. 
Even when human hands act unfairly and unjustly, God is flawless. His law, being perfect, refreshes the soul. And as a result, God requires that His covenant people live with the same high regard for just and righteous living. He's our ultimate example. He's the one we look to, to do what is right, to do what is true, because He is perfect in all His ways. He's faithful. He does no wrong. He's upright and just. This is kind of a repeat of what, what he just wrote, but uh, stating it a little bit different way, being faithful. Faithfulness is demonstrated by his holiness and how he does no wrong to anyone. So this song makes it clear that God is worthy to be worshipped because of his holiness, his perfection, and these attributes are displayed in these many ways. So what are some additional attributes of God's greatness that make Him worthy of worship. What are some additional attributes of God's greatness? We've listed several here uh, that, that we have. Yeah. Okay, He's holy. What else? He's made the world and everything our eyes see. Okay, Creator. He's, he's the one who's created us. He's created everything that, that we have, everything that we need. What else? He, he, has, he has the right. You know, he has ultimate authority. Okay. So he has the right to be praised this way. Uh, it's interesting when you read through the gospel accounts, uh, Jesus it doesn't, doesn't shun anyone, doesn't condemn anyone for worshiping him. That's an, it's an interesting thing to think about. When someone falls down and, and worships him, he never turns them away. Why is that? Because he's God. He's God in the flesh. He's upright. He's true. He's holy. He, he's, he's worthy of that worship. Let's turn to um, John chapter 5, verse 26. Can somebody get that? John 5, 26. Someone turn. Anybody? Okay, John 5, 26. And then we'll read Acts 17, verses 24 and 25. Get another reader for that. Acts 17, 24 and 25. Okay, you want to read it? Right, John 5, 26. Okay, um, a passage helping to... Uh, just show us why Jesus is to be worshipped. God's the source of all life. Um, and Jesus, as God in the flesh, uh, is a representation of that life. Acts 17, verse 24 and 25. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all so some additional reasons why God's worthy of worship. He's the one. Paul there, that's uh, Paul speaking. Uh, and where's Paul at there when he, when he gives this address? Yes, he's in Greece, in Athens. He's speaking to the, the non-Christians that are there, sharing with them about this unknown God, right? That, that they had all these idols set up for all these other little gods that they thought you know, they had a God for everything. God for the trees, a God for the sun, a God for whatever. And 
and they had a, an extra statue that was labeled unknown God, just in case they might have missed something. And Paul says, well, let me tell you about this God. This is the God that you don't know about, Almighty God, over all things. He's, he doesn't dwell in these little statues. He doesn't dwell in anything made with human hands. And that, this, this is the warning for us to, to not worship things that are made by human ingenuity, things that are made by human hands. And what are some things today that we're tempted to worship that are made by human hands? Things that we spend a lot of time on, we spend a lot of our effort and energy with when we really shouldn't be. We shouldn't be putting more emphasis and more time on those things than our worship for God. But what are some of those things that we're tempted? Okay, social media, money, yes, sports, TV, technology. I mean, every, all of us, and we're all guilty of it. We all get sucked into that, don't we? There's a lot of time and effort. And those things may not be bad things in and of themselves, but when we, we step back and we look at the time and the energy that we, we put on those little gods, those little things made by human hands, and then we reflect and think, well, how much time and energy do I put forth in, in worshiping and in serving Almighty God, the one who is worthy of this worship? We have to really uh, take inventory at times and think about that in, in our devotion to God, because uh, there shouldn't be anything. You shall have no other gods before me. And part of taking his name seriously and revering the name of the Lord is not having any other gods before him. We put his name before all those things. Yeah. Wasn't there an incident in one of the Gospels in the Garden of Gethsemane when they came to arrest Jesus? Did he say, I am he? Yeah, yeah. And they all fell back? Yeah. It was like you were talking to us about how power of God's name. Yeah, yeah, because uh, Peter, what does, what does he do? He takes his, takes his sword out and he slices the ear off of Malchus, remember? And Jesus tells him to put his sword away and he grabs the ear, brings it up. That, that would have been amazing to see. <laughs> takes the guy's ear and just pastes it back on and it's perfect, it's fine. And then he, then he, he says that, he says, I am he, and then, and the soldiers fall backward. So the, the implication is, hey, if I wanted to take you out, I could just, <laughs> you know, you don't have to rest me with a struggle. There's no struggle. And he's, he's showing his disciples that, and he's showing the people that, there that I'm going to give up my will when I'm ready to give it up. I'm in charge here, basically. I'm in charge of my Father's will. And, uh, yeah, great power in the name and that, that's why we, when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus because there's power in His name. And no, we're, there's no other name above His name. But there's a, a warning here for the Israelites, a warning for us not to make things that are made by human hands more important than God. And that comes in all, 
sorts of ways, and we, we have to just guard our lives uh, in those ways to keep him first. Verse 5 says, They are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. So God's people would be noticed for their holiness, for their righteousness at times, uh, but they would also uh, be noticed for their unrighteousness and their lack of devotion to the Lord. Uh, As the people of God, they allowed unholy influences to creep in at times. Um, they, They became corrupt. As a result, they ran the risk of being excluded as God's children. The opposite of God's just ways are the warped and crooked ways of man. When a person um, does not follow God and His righteousness, wickedness thrives. Uh, Turn over to Proverbs chapter 2. Somebody could read this for us. Proverbs 2 verses 12 through 15. Proverbs 2, 12 through 15. Okay, read it back there. To deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who lead the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil, and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked, and who are devious in their paths. Okay, so these are the things that that we can be saved from when we seek the wisdom of God. We can uh, easily uh, discard wickedness in our lives when we stick with God's wisdom. And Israel had placed itself in a self-destructive position at times because they chose to follow the gods of foreign nations and rejected worshiping God as they should. Despite all of Israel's experiences of God's divine redemption, the people of Israel abandoned their Redeemer many times. And uh, this is another warning for us. We, we need to check ourselves on a, a daily basis, a weekly basis. I think that's one of the main reasons why we have this memorial weekly is because He knows we forget. He knows our focus is turned at times. And this, this kind of is a uh, kind of works as a, a compass of sorts to turn our thoughts and our, our heart and our devotion back and say, hey, this is the most important thing. I'm the most important thing. You need to remember me. Remember what I've done for you. Uh, because he, God knows that we're prone to error, that we're, we're prone to, to follow things that we shouldn't. Um, and... Uh, he, he was very gracious to the Israelite people, and aren't we glad that He's gracious to us many times? And, and so he, he deserves our devotion. While this song refers to a specific generation, the song's truths are timeless, applicable to God's children in all eras. Jesus used a similar phrase to describe the unbelieving nature of some people in His audience. Let's turn to Matthew seventeen seventeen. Matthew chapter 17, verse 17. He says, You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? 
how long shall I put up with you? And we don't ever want to hear those words from our Savior. How long should I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Now, He's promised that He will never leave us, that He'll never forsake us. But there's two parts to that relationship, isn't there? If we decide to leave, we decide to venture off the path of righteousness and go on our own, we leave Him. And He's not right there with us anymore. The same protection that He had given us before is not right there available to us as before. There, there becomes a point in time where God gets frustrated with His people and He, he disciplines them. Uh, and discipline is not any fun, is it? Uh, the Scripture tells us that discipline for the moment doesn't seem very pleasing, does it? Or very useful. But in the end, it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So there may be times where God needs to discipline us to bring us back to where we need to be. He may do that through a lot of different ways. He did that with Israelite people. Uh, but uh, it's better, it's a better way for us not to frustrate God and to stay true to His path, to His righteousness. Ultimately, the children of God are tasked with living in an upright manner, obedient to the commands of God, and believers can do so as they are redeemed by the blood of Christ the lamb without blemish or defect. As a result, their lives can shine in the dark, crooked ways of the world. Another passage that uh, reminds us that, that we live in a, a crooked and uh, corrupt generation, if we turn over to Philippians chapter 2, I think in some respect every generation of mankind has had to deal with this. It just may seem that there's ups and downs. There's times that get worse than others. Um, but for Paul to write this back when he did to the church in Philippi, um, we, we see these same types of things occurring today. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Does someone want to read that for us? Okay, go ahead. Okay, yes. So our point, our part in this is to shine like stars in the world. To not live like the crooked, the perverse generation. That's, that was their God's directive for His people, Israelite people. Same thing for us today. And he goes on, verse 16, as you hold firmly to the word of life. That's how we shine as stars in a crooked and perverse generation is holding firmly to His word. And then he says, I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And may, when we make it to the end of our life, or if, if Christ returns before we pass, let that same thing be said of us. That he can boast that we stayed the course, that, he, that we stayed true to him. Before we uh, get into verse 6, um, how much uh, do we, uh, actually here, me mixing up my notes here. Um, let's go, ahead, actually, let's go ahead and read verse 6. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, 
your creator, who made you and who formed you. So the relationship between the Lord and Israel was based on Israel's loyalty and their trust. However, the people of Israel would betray the relationship by courting other foreign gods. And he asked the question, how much do we do this? may not be a, a graven image or some statue made by men, but how often are we tempted to do that same thing? The people would be foolish and unwise when they disregarded God's faithfulness. And as a result of their foolishness, this song described how God would respond with a harsh warning and with consequences. So God's ultimately going to care for them like any father would care for his child. What are some ways that, that God sometimes has to care for us as children? When you think about having to care for your little child or maybe your little grandchild, and then relate that to God's relationship with us. What are some ways that he has to, to treat us, how we might have to treat a little kid at times? Okay, he provides for our necessities. Yeah, absolutely. What's that? Punishment. Punishment. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, we need to rely on him for our salvation. What else? Okay, patience and wisdom. Yes. Yeah, it takes a lot of patience, doesn't it, to be, a, to be a parent at times, to not just lash out. And uh, aren't we glad God doesn't do that? We're, we're tempted to do that with our kids, but he's very patient with us. What else? I heard something over here. Healing. Healing, yeah. Yeah, taking us under his wings and showing us comfort. Yeah. Okay, yeah keeping his eye on us, making sure we're protected. Yeah, we do that with our own children. So all these ways, these, these acts of tender, loving care that God gives us, we do the same things with our, our earthly children, grandchildren. And we shouldn't expect that our Heavenly Father, the perfect Father, would do any less. He's, he's going to do even more, never sleeping, never taking his eyes off us. And uh, this tenderness of God is contrasted by the nature of Israel's ingratitude. And uh, oftentimes, it's, his tenderness is contrasted by our ingratitude. And because we, we, we make things more important, other things more important than him at times. Israel's whole identity came into existence because, <coughs> because of the love of the Father. He made and formed Israel to be his own people. And this song reminded Israel that the source of their value is the God who established his covenant with them. We're going to skip down to verse 10, Deuteronomy 32, um, down to verse 10. It says, In a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste, he shielded him and cared for him. So now the song switches. The, the song depicts God's people, referring to them collectively as him, as being lost 
in a barren land. And in a metaphorical sense, the Israelites were lost in a desert of slavery. God came in, rescued them. Um, Following their exodus from Egypt, they find themselves in an actual wilderness. And what does God do in that wilderness? Yeah, he protects them even even more so, doesn't he? Is he harsh? More harsh situations protects them, provides food, provides water, um, and what do they do? Rebel. Over and over, they're rebelling. They're grumbling. Let us go back to Egypt. You really want to go back to making bricks from straw and mud, and that being your existence? Uh, I'd, I'd be willing to do whatever is necessary. Let's just see what God has in store for us. Um, but they, they looked as life being better in Egypt. Um, but God, even despite God providing for them over and over and over and over. So this talks about how he takes care of them through these different wilderness times. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. And, um, what does that phrase mean? We use that phrase sometimes. But how, how do we use that phrase? The apple of your eye, the apple of someone's eye. What's that? Proud moments. Yes, proud. That's a proud moment. Okay. A proud. Favorite. Your favorite. Okay. Favorite relationship. <laughs> Katie's the apple of my eye. Right. Yeah. What else? What's that? Okay. So yeah. <laughs> I, I filled up my love bank there a little bit. Today. What else? How do we use that? What are some other ways we use it? We use it with our kids, don't we, at times? Yeah, yeah, as a way of encouragement. Absolutely. When we think about the eye, the, the eye is an amazing organ just in of itself. And they, they claim, a lot of biologists that have studied the eye, they still don't understand everything associated with the eye. They think they know most of it, but it's such a complex organ. There's so much to it. And there's even more complex, complex eyes than the human eye. When we look to the, to the animal world, uh, we were just recently watching a, a documentary on the butterfly. And one of the, the craziest things that happens during the metamorphosis process is that the, the entire eye, the, the eye of the butterfly is completely different than the eye of the caterpillar. The caterpillar has this just basic little eye, not suitable for anything but just finding the leaf and eating the leaf that it needs. But when it, when it goes through the process of metamorphosis, it turns into the, the butterfly has a super complex eye that can see ultraviolet light and through the whole spectrum of visible light and also infrared light is it has this full range of vision to be able to see all the colors that it needs to see to find the flower that has the nectar. It's crazy complex change that happens just in that one small eye. And so with any of God's creations that, that have eyes, including the human eye, it's considered as one of the most valuable, important parts of the body. The eyelashes, the eyelids, the eyebrows, the blinking reflexes, nearly invisible membranes that cover the eye, the eye socket itself, all serve to protect 
this very specific treasured organ in the body. And here, Israelites' importance is reflected in the way that the song describes God protecting His people as though protecting the apple of His eye. The phrase addresses a certain level of intimacy and care between God's people. And when we, when we have that, that person in our life that's the apple of our eye, what do we tend to do when we're talking to them? Right? Look right in their eyes. Right? We make eye contact. And by making eye contact, that shows intimacy. It shows that, that we're concerned about who they are. and um, we, it, we, we get close to that person. And this is God giving attention to their very basic and sensitive needs. He took the necessary steps to protect and provide for His people, and especially through this inhospitable wilderness. If there is adequate lighting and clear vision and appropriate proximity, I might see my reflection in the eyes of another person. By no means is this reflection clear. It's just a glimmer. Some details in the reflection may be lacking. Clarity may, be, may linger for only a few seconds. Rarely do I stand close enough to another person to see my reflection in their eyes. <clears throat> my children, however, are among the few people whose eyes I get close enough to gaze into. I wonder if they see their reflection in my eyes, for they are the apple of my eye. The intimate relationship between God and His people leads this songwriter to speak of God's people as the apple of God's eye. God's people reflect a portion of God's character to the world. And in order for that to occur, His people must be close to Him. And what is it that's preventing you from being close to God? You are the apple of His eye. God has given, He gave up everything. He gave up His one and only Son so that He could have this close relationship with each and every one of us. And He deserves our full devotion because we are the apple of His eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. Here we have this beautiful picture of God being like the eagle who um, protects its young while they're still in the nest. And even when they take their first flight, um, he mentions that when eaglets learn to fly, they, they actually glide right behind the mother. And they pick up on the, the mother's drafts, and it makes it very easy for them to learn how to, to fly. And the mother's protecting them and, and surveying you know, the danger that could be present as they, they soar through the air and carries them uh, aloft. So God's pictured here like this, providing... That, that protection, that guidance for His people so they can flourish, uh, they, so He can make their way easier. The Lord alone led Him. No foreign God was with Him. He made Him ride on the heights of the land and fed Him with the fruit of the fields. And He nourished Him with honey from the, from the rock and with oil from the flinty crag. So here is a, a beautiful picture. We're going to end with that verse, but... A beautiful picture of how God, even in the midst of very difficult, troubling places, you know, the, what the, 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 um, there was honey that came from the rock. There was oil that came from the, the flinty crag. Even in the, the highest, most deserted places, 
where nothing else could grow, God still provides. He gives them what they need. It's a beautiful picture. Read uh, whenever you have time. Read through the rest of that song. Um, on the, the surface, the nature of the song in, in today's text seems um, maybe a little bit cynical as he uh, pointed out how they disobeyed God, but uh, it highlights the, the goodness of God and how He takes care of His people even when they reject Him or fall away from Him at times. Uh, yet the song's pointed nature leads to a declaration of hope. God's salvation will transform and sustain if only His people would remember their commitment to Him. And that's a, the same thing for us. He's going to sustain us, protect us, never leave us as long as we seek Him, if we are devoted to Him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this reminder in Scripture that uh, You are our great God, the Creator and Sustainer of life. You've done so much to, to show Your devotion to us, that you, you never rest, that You always provide for us and care for us tenderly like, uh, like uh, the perfect Father would care for His children. Uh, please help us, Father, to remember these things daily, to remain as close to You as we possibly can. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.